Hi, I'm Trenton Stander. Hi, I'm Tim Brown. And, and this is the Open Heart Cast. Three, two, one. Yes, welcome back to this week's episode of the Open Hearth Cast. We are coming to you live from Rudepoort, from Trenton's workshop. And yeah, we've got a very exciting episode. Uh, what are we starting with today, Trenton? Not quite sure yet. We, uh, <laughs> we're doing it on the fly, but yeah. uh, I'm sure we'll come up with something as we mm. go along. Yeah, what we were talking about... Before the, we started recording was like small projects we're going to be looking at doing for the Open Health Cast um, to try and grow the brand a bit more and uh, get some sort of merch yes. in the form of possibly a bush crafting knife or some bottle openers or things like that. Yeah. So that's what we're looking at. Yeah, essentially, we're just trying to um, figure out how we're going to grow the audience of the Open Hearthcast and um, try and figure out how we're going to get better sound quality and things like that and mm. all of that stuff. So that's why we, we're looking at all these projects that we can do to put some money behind all of this jazz. Yeah, because uh, sound equipment's relatively expensive for some reason. Mm. I don't know. I don't know why. But yes, anyway, enough of that. What have you been up to this week? So this week, I think I finished, did I finish the X this week or was it last weekend? I think it was last weekend. It was after we recorded yeah. uh, the last episode, but um, I finished off X. Uh, it looks like I might get another order for uh, another X and ads, which is going to be interesting. And then I've got two little Puko-style knives I just need to finish grinding the handle. And, yeah, other than that, I've been going to the normal day job. The normal day job, yeah. Well, it's a bit it's... of a fucking distraction, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> they sometimes put money in my account. We, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, we were talking about that the other day, well, earlier today, yeah. uh, about how you, you gain momentum and then it gets interrupted by external influences and then mm. you you battle to get that that, that flow. momentum again yeah. yeah um that reminds me of that one of mark manson's sayings is that just do something as these do something principles so yeah uh, to, in order to build motivation or get momentum you just got to start with something something small yeah i mean the other day i was not feeling too productive and i had spent the day mostly on my phone to to friends and my brother and people mm. round about and um i was like damn i've, I've lost like a good hours of the morning mm. so i was like well i'm not going to let that stop me so mm. i started grinding that kitchen knife mm. um and i got the blade nice and thin mm. remember that convex ed edge yeah. that you that you put on it while i was hand sanding mm. the other kitchen knife so i took it down basically to where the convex edge mm. start the, the mm. you know started bowing into mm. the, the edge and uh took it all the way down and it's real nice and thin Mm. But you are doing all that on a 25 millimeter platen. You need mm. to be very careful so mm. that you don't get ripples in the flipping blade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've I've learned from it. Mm. I think it's I think it's beneficial to do it on a on a platen that's narrower, especially on a machine like mine, because I can bog it down really easy. Yeah. Yeah. So I do it 
on that to mm. remove bulk of the material and then you know on the 25 mm. on the on the 50 mil yeah. then i just smooth things up a little bit more yeah. and you know tilt it at an angle to get those ripples out yeah that's that's quite a good way of doing it because you know if you want to take material off fast that your contact area is important mm. So if you can go to a 25mm belt, it, it makes a big difference at the speed at which you can remove material. Yeah. Um, I mean, even on my belt grinder, which has got a two-horse motor, so it's a 1.5, I can still bog it down if I want to, if I really push hard. Yeah. But that results in blisters on your thumbs. Yes, <laughs> yes. I was actually helping Jack with his uh, power hammer, uh, his... The shaft that essentially is the hammer for his yeah. power hammer. So we, he took that off and we were melting wax, mm. but not wax, lead, lead to put into the uh, the power hammer to just mm. give it a bit more heft. And uh, so we put put this bar because mm. the whole the whole hammer was sitting in the kiln mm. to, you know, settle yeah. the, the lead. And um, at, we were pouring it in there and whatnot, and then we had to take it out. And we took it out with because it's got two eyes at the top mm. that are it gets connected to the knuckle or whatever. Yeah, that connects mm. to the 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 flywheel mm. basically. It pushes it down or the arms. Um, and we put a bar through there, and Jack tilted the one side higher than I had tilted the other side, mm. and the whole thing slid toward my hand and burnt there. At 600 degrees Celsius, I know this because that's what it said on the flipping kilt. <laughs> dumbass. <laughs> Gloves, so man. I, I got a nice blister over there mm. and uh, one over there as well. Mm. But yeah, I moved I moved it with my other hand. don't know how this hand didn't get burnt, but uh, I moved it very fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm also... I'm on the recovery list. My arm's almost healed. Mm. Started running again this week. Fantastic. Uh, yesterday I couldn't run because at my day job we were busy trying to do some acceptance on a 20 mil hand cannon. We'll call it the PAW. Um, so my shoulder's a little bit bruised from shooting. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it was a bit of a shit show. But yeah. it's all fun in the sun. It's That's nice all... to get some the smell of burnt cordite in the morning. <laughs> Cordite? What is that? No, it's a type of propeller, but it's actually we use nitrocellulose. Nitrocellulose. Okay. Yeah, cordite is the old propellant that they used to use in, like the old 303 used to get sticks of cordite in the shell. Yeah? Mm. Hmm. But it's an extremely corrosive propellant, so that's why they went away from it, because it charged a barrel. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you don't clean after you shot with cordite, you look down the barrel and it looks like rust city. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, Jack was showing me um, like the the different the difference between like I can't remember what propellants he was using. I know one of them was black powder, mm. um, but black powder burns really dirty, man. Mm. So, you know, I I I know that because I've read a little bit on mm. it, but like seeing it, you see mm. how much like soot it makes. It it's yeah. it's a lot. It's really a lot. It's soot, and there's a. It, it forms a type of salt as well. Okay. So normally, if after you shot black powder, you have to like wash the barrel out with boiling water. That works. Okay. Because mm. otherwise, that it, it also causes corrosion.
Interesting. I think it's to do with the saltpeter in the black powder. Yeah, well, saltpeter, I don't know how that affects anything, but I do know that it's in there. Saltpeter, sulfur, and carbon. Yes. So, but you need the ratios right. You need you? the ratios right, and you need to mix it right. But because that's a dodgy operation, though. Mm. I mean, because if you're making it yourself, it's a dodgy operation. It's a seriously dodgy. You shouldn't you shouldn't fuck around with propellant and explosives at your house. Mm. It's just, I mean, where I work, we've got a detonics factory that makes primary explosives and stuff like that. And they still have detonations that aren't planned. <laughs> Put it that way, because when they like when they make the the percussion caps, yeah, they they fill the caps with the the primary explosive, but it is in a wet format. Okay. So it's it's wet, so it's there's less chance of static and stuff like that, and then they press it to compress it. Now sometimes if it dries a little bit too much before they compress it, um, they get detonations under the press. So you wow. it. It basically just damages the, the punch that's pressing it. Yes. Because it's in a steel plate uh, around the cup or whatever. But it's still, um, if you're busy carefully somewhere and you get a detonation, you, you have to go change the underwear. Or yeah. you wear your brown pants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I remember um, I was trying to make these, well, I, I succeeded in mm. making these Strike Anywhere matches, but mm. I was taking, you remember those those cap guns that we mm. used to play with as kids? Mm. I took a whole ton of those things and I bought like a crap house full mm. and like I emptied them very carefully mm. and I had this big bunch of powder there and I was taking it and putting it aside very mm. carefully. And then eventually I got so tired of like putting mm. bl- big batches of powder mm. aside and I was like, I stuff this, it'll be fine. I've only got two more to do. And I crushed one a little bit too hard, too fast, and mm. it exploded it, it ignited the entire bunch mm. of powder, which was like in the palm of my hand. Ish. And it shot up and it burnt into my face. Mm. I wasn't wearing eye protection, mm. silly cunt. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, I I had this blur in my or this this you know that uh, like if you've been looking at the sun for too long, yeah, you got flash. that that flash in your eyes for mm. like a, a while afterwards. Yeah, don't fuck around with that shit at home, kids. Mm. Not a not a generally a good idea. But it makes great strike anywhere matches. It, what you do, mm. mix a little bit of water in there, mm. and then some wood glue, just a, mm. a drop or two of wood glue, mm. and then you mix that all up. And you put, uh, you get a piece of tape first mm-hmm. of all, and you hang that up, mm-hmm. and then you take your matches, and you put it in there, and uh, just give it a little bit of a coating. Put mm-hmm. them all on the sellotape, mm-hmm. and then you let them dry. I saw a video once of how they actually make matches. It was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah they've got this machine, and then all these matches, they like go through the dip, and then they go up, and they they all individually held. Yeah, but it's like azure of them a long row and yeah. it's like on this continuous type conveyor type thing so it goes through a process and then it, it gets dipped then it gets dried and then it falls off and it's fascinating to watch how they do mass production of things it is it is i just um i mean when i was a kid line matches used to be reliable yeah they're not so much anymore. not anymore yeah, the quality is it's it's terrible you you like try and light a match the stick always breaks mm. the, it, it never wants to light on it goes, time <laughs> it just goes 
okay, let's. Uh, no. I think it's because they've made him too safe. Yeah. I mean, people who who can't or shouldn't be using matches, then just let let natural selection take its That's course. the problem. There's too many warning labels, so all the dumb people don't get cold. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So let's let's think what what else what else can we discuss this on this episode? I mean, we've had now we've had now three people that we've interviewed essentially. Mm. And uh, and it's been a great time. The the first person that we interviewed was uh, Joanne Wright. Then we did and Grant. Then we did Grant Stain. That was an amazing episode. Yeah, we're going to have to go visit Grant again soon. Yeah, that's going to happen very soon. So we're just setting a date to it. Um, and then, of course, David Hula mm. uh, more recently. And that was... That was an experience. That <laughs> was just mind-blowing. Yeah, for other um, reasons. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I mean, it was it was a, it was an incredible, incredible experience. The whole the whole experience was just, mm. whoo, man! It was man. In- incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I re- like I, I am. I was talking to my brother about this whole experience that I had the other to day to Byron. Byron, yeah. I was talking to him about it, and it's interesting to listen to people who haven't experienced it because they're kind of like they're either for it or they and I mean my, my brother does a little mm. bit of weed here and there and mm. whatnot and and um so he's not opposed to it or anything mm. but he's he was just like I'm telling him about this with such conviction mm. because it's like when something life changing happens to you mm. like and you've got somebody to talk to about it. You mm. want to talk about it. Mm. You really want to talk about it. Because it was extremely it. profound. And extremely profound. Mm. I mean, but I mean, I was talking to him about it. And he, he, you could hear that he was kind of in this, like, didn't quite understand the impact, mm. you know. And I think that's the case with a lot of people who don't uh, think that it's valuable. Mm. Um and I mean that's that's up to everybody as to make mm-hmm. that decision for themselves. But I mean, you could hear this indecisive mm. sort of attitude toward it, like mm. eh, whatever. Yeah. Like I, I still think there's there's they're busy with research in the states on it, um, mm. but I think there's a large scope for research uh, into actual medical uses for depression, PTSD, those types of things where. Um, people have become treatment resistant or uh, the meds that are available don't work. Because, mm. um, you know, from my experience, some meds work with some people and some just have the complete opposite effect. It's, mean, it's like Jack said, uh, sleeping pills don't work for him. Mm. They have no effect on him. Well, apparently mushrooms don't either. He said he tried them mm. years ago and all it gave him was a runny stomach. I never experienced a runny stomach, but I had a very slippery hold on reality. Um, very slippery hold. But but like this is the thing as well is, and I know we're always talking about drugs, guys, but I mean, th- this, is, this is what we like to talk about, so mm. stay with it. Um, it relates to philosophy. It does. It does. But I mean, mm. here's the thing, Tom, is like after after that psilocybin experience that mm. I had, 
There, I can honestly say to you, I mean, how long ago was the Easter weekend? Two weekends ago. Two weekends ago. There is not, honest to God, there is not a day that goes past since then mm. where I have not thought about that. Yeah. Where I have not thought about what I've seen, what I saw in that mm. in that experience. And it was, I said to my brother, I think it was yesterday. No, anyway, it doesn't matter. Sometime this week. I said to him, it's got to be one of the top five influential moments in my life. Mm. Where, because I mean, you know, sometimes you'll have a dream, mm. a very vivid dream, mm. and it will affect your feelings for the entire day. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Because when was it? It was yesterday. Uh, so Wednesday night. When I woke up in th- on Thursday morning, I was just in a shit mood. I had a cock dream. I don't know what the dream was about because I don't remember it, but I know I had a cock dream. And the whole day I was in a shit mood. I even said to my wife, we need to change sides of the bed because then I won't get out of the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's amazing how to fix it. And, I mean, when they did that one study I, we've talked about a few times that they did on cancer patients. Yes. They gave them a, a single large dose of psilocybin. Wasn't that Michael Stamets who – what, I don't know. No. Who who is no, I watched was, a, a thing about Michael somebody. He's an older gentleman. He, yeah, he's he's the mushroom guy. Yeah. Yeah. But now this was done by actual medical research. I think it was at John Hopkins University. Yes, but he interviewed those patients, those mm. cancer patients. And what I don't know the percentage, but like the majority of them said it was in it, the experience was one of the top five. Most of them said it was the most influential, profound experience or mem- memorable experiences of their whole life. Yes. Um, and I saw an interview with two of the patients, and the one woman who's a devout atheist, she's still an atheist, but she said the only way she can describe it was a meeting with the gods. Um and the psychological effects that it had on the patients was phenomenal in, in terms of good results. Well, that, I mean, just the 80% of the people who smoked stopped smoking, and they'd still stop smoking when they did the six or the nine month follow up. Yeah. So that's, and all the drugs, the, the pharmaceutical drugs available to stop smoking, they have at best. Maybe a 50% success rate. Maybe. Sure. I mean, I, I want to say Michael Stamets. It wasn't the guy who had the, the, the mushroom hat. This is why we need Jamie here. Mm. Um, but I was watching a, a, a discussion that he was having the other day on a stage, um, and I think he only tried – I think he tried psilocybin when he was in his 20s, but very low doses. And he tried 25, I think he said he was 25 milligrams of psilocybin on this guided experience. And I forgot the point that I was trying to mention. But anyway, he said that the most sane thing to do the most sane thing to do for a person is to 
Manny, put it. Michael Pollan. Is it Michael Pollan? Okay, all right. Well, Berkeley talks transcripts, Michael Pollan on science, psychedelics, and the. Yeah. Well, I th- man, is there an image of him? I'm just going to the page. We're trying to go to the page now. Because I can remember the face. I can't remember the name, unfortunately. Uh, <coughs> yeah, this is why we need Jamie. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, in any case, uh, he was he was he was saying how how much of a incredible experience it was for him. But he said he before he tried this, he interviewed um, all these people with the. Uh, with terminal cancer and things like that. And he, he interviewed all these people and he wrote about it. And he said in, with regard to one of the ladies that he spoke to, um, who had terminal cancer, that it dramatically, uh, reduced her fear of death kind of thing. Yeah. And, and they actually phoned the, no, not that guy. Not that guy. I know who, who that guy is. He's the mushroom guy. He's the guy Paul, with the hats. That's Paul Stamets. That's Paul Stamets. Okay, so I'm mm. I'm confusing the name. So Paul Stamets, not Michael Stamets. Sorry, guys. Um, He's the mushroom guy, but I want to look for... Michael... Poland. Let's see. Yeah, that, that guy. That yeah. guy. Michael Poland. Mm. Um so he he said yeah that's that's the discussion that I watched. Uh, mm. Michael Pollan, what does it say there? Psychedelics and how to change your mind. Yeah, there we go. So he he said that they phoned this woman to actually find out if what he had said was was true, and she said no, he's got it entirely incorrect. It didn't dramatically change my um, my fear toward death. Mm. It eliminated it. Wow. Okay. Entirely. So, like, she—I think she had uh, some sort of um, womb cancer or something. Like, I could be mistaken. Okay. But on this experience that she had, she told him that, or or, or or she told the guides, I think it was, that, and during the experience, the guides mm. were there, mm. and she had this experience where she went into her own body mm. and she saw this mass of black dark matter yeah. that she identified as her cancer but then mm. she realized in the trip it wasn't her cancer it was her fear of death okay and she said get the fuck out of my body okay and after that she just mm. gone so it was more like a black energy or something yeah like yeah. this dark, you know, when people talk about that dark cloud that mm. hangs over your head, it's kind of something like that, I think. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I just think, like, why would you not be curious about that? Mm. Why? I mean, how many people do you think the fear of death affects? 99.999. Except the adrenaline junkies. Yeah. Um, but, well, I mean, everything well, you do mm-hmm. – you, you are conscious of what mm. will hurt you, mm. what will what will help you, what will you – know, you, you're always conscious of what's dangerous. Yeah. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be. Mm. What I'm saying is that the fear of death is a very uh, impactful thing. It can be uh, – It can be crippling. It can be crippling. Yeah, that's 
the word I was looking for. Yeah. So um, if you're not crippled by mm. it, if you're not crippled by it, mm. you can fucking grow for mm. sure. Well, there's a there's a very interesting piece at the, at the end of uh, Mark Manson's book on the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Yeah. Which is more a book about values now that I've been doing more research on it, on, on what are your values and are they good or bad values. Mm. Now, at the end, he's at Table Mountain, strangely enough, and he walks right up to the edge and he describes the fear his body tells him because you're getting right at it. And then he sat down with his legs over the edge and watched all the people down below. It wasn't Table Mountain, it was Cape Point or somewhere. Anyway, somewhere in the Cape, yes. Somewhere in the Cape, but he said he could feel the fear. But And then uh, when, he had, when he had had his moment there, because he could quite easily have just fallen off the edge to himself if he wanted to. Sure. But when he got off and he walked back, there was another tourist there, an Australian guy, and he says, like with a very suspicious voice, he says, are you, are you okay? You know? And he says, yes, actually, I'm very okay. And then the Australian guy clicked that, that experience of being right on the edge, so close to death or whatever, almost like revitalizes you. Mm. It's like you 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 building up sort of not resistance, but you becoming more comfortable with the fear of death. Yeah. So it's not so debilitating. Yes. Mm. Yes. And I think that there's there's definitely something to that. I mean, people who they often often these cases where people talk about it was a near-death experience mm. and it changed my life and it made me realize that I need to value my family more I mm. need to tell people that I love them uh, people that are that are you know big parts of your life that you need mm. to tell them that you love them and mm. so on and so forth and the this is the point mm. is that these sorts of like especially with what I experienced with the psilocybin is that I've never felt so close to death. Yeah. Like, and I, I have epilepsy, right? Like yeah. when you have a seizure, that mm. that's the closest that I've ever felt. Like when you, when you have a seizure, when I specifically, in my experience, everybody's experience with seizures and epilepsy is different, mm. but like I'm non-existent mm. when I'm knocked out, I'm, I'm out, I'm finished. When mm. I come to, then it's, then it's like, okay, you know, back in reality. Mm. But like the experience of psilocybin was like you're non-existent, mm -hmm. but you plugged into something else. Yeah, and it kind of gives you this that you that it's not like it's not the end. Mm. That this is not all there is to life. Yeah, that's the kind of feeling that it mm. gives you. I'm not saying it is. But it fucking could be. Well, who knows? Because the only the, the only people know that whether there's life after death is the dead. And, and um, unfortunately, as far as I know, well. they don't talk anymore. <laughs> but you know, it's mm. it's such a curious thing because mm. when when you take it as well, there's there's such a sense of appreciation. Yeah. You've got this profound sense of appreciation because I was, when it started hitting, I, I was talking to David Hula, well, trying to, he was talking mostly, I mean, <laughs> but I was also tripping balls. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, I, I, I'm watching this dude talk and I'm like, oh my God. 
I am talking to some other human here. This is so crazy. And I know it sounds silly and whatnot. When you when you haven't tried it, don't judge it till you tried it, mm. right? Because you'll only understand when mm. you've tried it. And you you mm. get this profound sense of appreciation and patience for other people. I think it's maybe there's something to do with bringing you much closer to the present. Yes. So there is no, there's no future, there's no off before, it's just the now. And I think in the modern day high-paced life, we forget about living the now. We're always worried about the future or what we fucked up in the past. And I know I suffer from that, so. Well, it goes yeah. back to a, a podcast that I was actually watching last night with uh, Duncan Trussell and, and um, Joe Rogan. Mm. where they were talking about they were talking about mindfulness and how the word mindfulness is being thrown around like mm. willy-nilly all the time but mm. it's sad that that's happening is what mm. they were saying because mindfulness is actually a very good practice I've it, done quite a bit of practice in, in mindfulness but then it's like I don't stick with it always yeah but, the, <laughs> but it's, it, it, it's extremely profound it's it's um, like if you do mindful meditation, I mean, uh, Mark Manson was talking about there's two minds. Mm. There's the thinking mind, which never stops. So if you try and shut your eyes and think about nothing for 30 seconds, impossible. But, because there's always yes. thoughts going through. Your, your thinking brain's always working. Yes. But then the other part of your brain is the observing mind. So it observes what your thinking mind is putting through and learning the difference because a lot of people are controlled by their thinking mind where they're anxious or overthinking things and what about this what about that of the future the past whatever but if you actually because it's a difference to say i am scared in term it because that's like some sort of semi-permanent where a different way of seeing it is I feel scared because feelings are temporary. Sure. So that's where the, the observer mind says to the thinking mind, okay, we're feeling this. We're not, we aren't that thing entirely. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> and I think that's very much what Duncan mm. Trussell was alluding to because mm. He was talking about this type of um, meditation that mm. he was practicing with, with some other guy. I can't remember who mm. it was. But he was saying that what he was – and he was just learning the basics, and that's what mm. he said. He's, these are just some of the basics, mm. is that you sit, you meditate, and you look forward like nine feet in front of you or whatever mm. it was, and you just look. And just stare. And you and you focus on your breathing. Mm. And then he says, as soon as your mind starts wandering, you close your eyes. And then you think to yourself, mm. thinking. And then you let yourself think. And then you come back. Mm. And that's and that's here's the point: is mm. that 
that essentially, in my mind at least, mm. in my very limited understanding of mm. mindfulness, that's mm. what it is. Yo, it's, it's being mindful of the present mm. right now. So one of the things that when I was doing the mindful meditation is that you can't stop the thoughts, but you can acknowledge them. So your observing mind says, okay, I acknowledge that thought. All right, we can move on. Whereas if you're just observing and you don't, and all these things are running through your head, you can't really, you, it just becomes uh, overpowering almost. It's, that's my problem is when I start overthinking stuff. And it's what it, it, it like, it grows exponentially. It's like your brain just goes into overdrive. And yeah. you need, I need, my wife helps me a lot of this, that is, you're overthinking it, just slow down, step back, one thing at a time. Mm. Um, because it's, it can be a nightmare sometimes. Well, this is, this is going back to what you said earlier about saying I am scared versus I feel scared mm. because <clears throat> here's the thing in my mind it's like this you can feel something mm. but then because you're once again we're always talking about ego but it's, it's something that I think is very relevant toward this mm. topic is your ego is always trying to do things to protect you. Mm. So if you feel vulnerable or if you feel scared or whatever it is, there's a valid reason for it. There's a valid, maybe mm. not always. Yeah. Because mm. sometimes you, you feel uncomfortable in, in mm. certain people's presence or whatever, and maybe you feel intimidated or whatever. So, so it's not always to say that it's valid. It's just mm. that you there may be some sort of psychological insecurity that you've got mm. that you need to work on. But acknowledging the fact that you feel this way, mm. not that you are this way, yeah. that you feel this way. The, the, the problem is when you say, I am this, then you start thinking, okay, now what do I have to do to to chip away at the situation to get myself reestablished. The thing is And that's something we spoke to Grant about as well. Mm. The thing is it's like if you let yourself be run by your emotions, you're gonna be all over the place all the time because our emotions change more times than the weather. Mm. If you think about it, you get angry, you get sad, you're happy, you feel nothing. All through the day your your emotions are up, down, up, down, up, down the whole time. Mm. Now, when you are not, when you say you are scared, you're allowing the emotion to rule you. Yes. Whereas rather than acknowledging, okay, I feel scared, okay, so it's not the end of the world because mm. it's a temporary thing. Yeah. Well, this, this is the thing as well is that when it, when it comes to like <clears throat> mindfulness as well is that Sometimes I'll I'll be sitting and I'll and I'm feeling incapable. Mm. I feel incapable of doing a task that I know I need to do to improve mm. the skill, but I feel incapable. Mm. 
and then I'll, then then your brain takes you down this this road of like ah oh, fuck what are you doing dude what are you doing like this mm. is not this is not the path for you or whatever mm. and then you kind of have to take take charge and say no 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 we're not going down this road that's we, that's we, the two minds yes yeah. your your thought mind is going oh no you, you're not good enough mm. why bother yeah where's your observer saying you can acknowledge, okay, that's the way I feel. Yes. But fuck it, you know, it's yes. temporary. Yes, yes. That That's the point, is that, and, I, and it's a very difficult thing to exercise because mm. as, the thing is, when you start a journey out, mm. <clears throat> and it's essentially in my mind that's what it is, because mm. if you start feeling, mm. start feeling mm. in this particular negative mm. path, as soon as you start feeling like that, mm. you got to change pretty quick, mm. because as soon as that goes further and further down the path, mm. it becomes more and more and more difficult to it's get a, out of that it's routine. It's a black hole because you, the other thing you fall into is confirmation bias. Okay. So because you're feeling like you're incapable, and you do something and you make a small mistake, you say, "Yeah, there, there, I'm fucking yeah, useless." Okay. So. Instead of looking, hey, but the rest of the fucking life is, is good. I just made one small mistake. Yeah. Uh, you, you get into that negative mindset or that bad mindset where you start having these confirmation bias. And then it goes sort of down and down and down like a, a negative feedback loop spiral of death. Yeah, well, that's the thing with it is that it's it, like once you start down that path, mm. it just, it as you say, it just spirals down mm. into this negative. And you, you kind of need like your observant mind to say to your thinking mind, hey. Yeah. Get, get your shit together. Yeah. <laughs> stop feeling sorry for yourself. Or yeah. like, the, the thing is to stop putting yourself down. It's like. Mm. I, you, call him, you, I call them the assholes in your brain that, that speak shit to you. You know, it's it's like <laughs> you're not a masochist. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You 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 putting like the most destructive thing that you can do to yourself in your mind, in my opinion, is to make a habit of judging yourself negatively mm. like always saying that it's not good enough mm. it's like you need to yeah acknowledge mistakes mm. acknowledge this there's definitely value in that mm. acknowledge the things that that you need to improve on or mm. or negative aspects about yourself but don't let them overpower you don't let mm. them become rulers in your own mind no, so it's letting your letting your emotions rule you yeah Instead of you, you can just acknowledge it and say, "Okay, I feel like shit." Right, we can move on again. Mm. Yeah, and and do something positive to change mm. that. Mm. You know, it's it's not. <laughs> I mean, I know when I've been working on stuff and you've been carefully for a while, and you make a small fuck up, and then it's like, ah, fuck, and then you you want to try and force yourself. Maybe it's it's better sometimes just to say, okay. Let's just take a, take a step back. Let's go do something different. Yeah. And just get out of that frame of mind or that place. Yeah. Just so that you can get your brain back into the right focus. 
frame. Yes. Wow. Yes, I'm running under English again. Well, it's like it's like what we were talking about the other day about setting boundaries. Mm. It's like you set boundaries with, or at least you should, mm. with certain people that you mm. know, like you know that this is not healthy. This person's mm. not healthy for me. Mm. Um, I'm going to set either a limited time mm. frame to spend with this person because they affect me mm. negatively. Mm. So. The point is, do you do that with yourself? You need to. You need to do that with yourself. Like you need to say to yourself, this is not a healthy thought pattern. Mm. I'm not going to go there. Mm. And it, as I say, it's such a difficult thing to do, mm. especially for people who are um, that's ingrained in them or, mm, they or they've had outside influences like, maybe parents or siblings or mm. cousins or aunties or uncles or grandfathers or whatever it may be that have told them that. And it's almost in their, in their so psyche or their subconscious, subconscious yeah. that they're not good enough. And that mm. that's a problem, mm. but you need to face it. You can't, mm. if you constantly putting shit in a bucket mm. all the time, that bucket gets full. Mm. Like, you know what? It's, it's cop. What? Caught? I'm trying to think of the word again. Compartmentalization. So you, you take shit that you don't want to deal with and you put it into a little ball and you just stick it away. And you keep putting all these little balls away and they're all nice and fester and then you have a breakdown. Because you don't actually yeah. deal with the, the issue. Yes. Because it's like you you set it in stone almost. Like, are oh, you a fuck up? Yeah. You're not good enough. Yeah. Instead of saying, hey, <clears throat> asshole, I may not be good enough right now in terms of, say, Jack Conan's quality or whatever, mm. but I'm on a different path. I'm on a different timeline. I'm on my own journey. Yes. And it's going to take time to get there. Yes. I think in a, in our modern age, there's too much of I want it now. Mm. I must have it now. There's yeah, well, no uh, delay gratification or... There's no appreciation for the process of working towards getting somewhere. Yeah, and I think if you if you can look, I'm I'm patient when it comes to a lot of things, but I'm very impatient when it comes to a lot of things too. Mm. So I'm patient with people, mm. uh, people that I love. Sometimes, actually, <laughs> not all the time. But I, I could be more patient with people mm. that I love. But the point is that I'm, I, I'm generally more patient with people around me mm. than I'm patient with myself. Mm. And that's, that's a problem. Is that I, I, when I see other people going down the same path that I go down, mm. I'm like, no, it's not like that, brother. Or it's mm. not like that. Just, mm. just, it's okay. You're going mm. there. You're doing good. Like, it's mm. okay. You, you'll be all right. But I don't do that for myself. Mm. Not all the time. It's it's the, like Jordan Peterson's one rule is like you need to take care of yourself as if you were someone in your care. Yes. So if it if it's your dog or your cat, you make sure it gets the medicine and takes it all the time. Or if it's your kids, you make sure they have their stuff. Mm. Um, but when it comes to yourself, you you always put yourself last in line for self care, mm. which I think is very bad. It's not healthy at all. Yeah, and I and I think a lot of people view that as like a, it's like a, a selfish thing, or it's like a, <clears throat> like a oh just get over it and move mm. on. 
I don't sometimes do... it's not just get over it and move on. No. De- you have to deal with shit. Mm. You can't just say get over it and move on mm. because that's ignoring the problem. Mm. If there's a problem, mm. acknowledge it, f- try and fucking fix it, mm. and then you can move on. It's It relates almost to what um, Mark Manson says about we are, we are guided by our values and our beliefs. Mm. So if something is in great conflict with our values, then it's a problem. But at the same time, we need to reevaluate is, is that value or belief, is it helpful or is it constructive towards you or is it deconstructive? And one of these things is you shouldn't believe something even if it's true. You need to believe something that is beneficial to you. Hmm. So right now in your knife-making journey, you're at a certain level. Mm. It's the truth. Yes. But it's not – is it really helpful? Not necessarily because you're on a path and you're going to get better. So you can't just say, oh, I'm a shit knife-maker. Yeah. Just, I'm not at the level where I want to be yet. And it's just going to take time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's more like modifying your beliefs or re, rewording them so that they become helpful rather than destructive. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's... I can't really talk in much detail about it because I'm still busy working through the stuff that I've got off his, off his website in terms of values and beliefs. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, you know, it's, I generally have a lot to say, but I'm kind of in this place now where I'm, like, you realize your own limitation of understanding certain Mm. things. Mm. And, you know, you you can put on this front that you know, mm. you like you know your shit, mm. but like, and that's one thing that became very apparent to me during the psilocybin mm. trip, is that I'm always trying to say things to, to kind of contribute to something that is not necessarily, like just let other people talk. Like it's like what what Grant is saying. You know, why? Yeah, but why? Yeah, exactly. What value does it what, have? What value does it have? Mm. And it's like, yeah, okay, like if you got something to say, so that's fine. But like after the <clears throat> especially the, the next day after the psilocybin trip, I remember speaking to Dean. We were sitting at the airport waiting to, for the flight. And he was talking to me, and I was just I, I felt very, very different. Mm. especially the the next day Mm. I felt extremely different because I think may have been still somewhat in my system. I think it's it's more of the effect of this extremely profound experience that you had that your brain is still working through it. Mm. But at the same time, it was just like, I don't have anything valuable to add to what he's saying right now. So Mm. just be quiet. Mm. You know, it's like you're sitting there and, and, and Dean was talking to me and he was and he was like, it's amazing if you can just be quiet, how much mm. people will tell you. 
Yes. Like they almost start filling the 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 conversation with with more stuff. Mm. It's like if you don't think somebody's telling the truth, just look mm. at them mm. and don't say anything. Mm. And they'll start filling that that it's awkward on. silence with mm. more talking mm. and eventually you'll get to the fucking truth. Yeah. You know, because they spin themselves a web of lies that they can't mm. build on or like and I think sometimes you know, people just want to talk so that they feel like they're being heard. Mm. Almost. So she's broken. She's broken. So um, yeah, I mean if the point here is that if you like especially as I say, the the next day after the after the whole experience is that I just sat there and I just listened. Yeah. And he opened up to me about mm. all sorts of things and mm. just it was an amazing bonding moment between mm. him and I because it was just a like he knew that I was just listening, mm. not in a judgmental way, just mm. just listening and just hearing what he's saying. Mm. Being a being a sort of an audience to what he had to say, not being a part of a conversation. It's like if you have a conversation conversation one-on-one where you're both speaking it's different to as, almost as if you're on a stage and you're speaking to an audience who are just there to listen yes they're not there to cast judgment or to question or anything you're just there to listen and that's that's the point i think mm. that you know like look don't get me wrong i enjoy adding to conversation and but the point here is that Generally, with conversation, is that this conversation that we're having right now has led all the way from the beginning to all sorts of different topics mm. because you and I have been on this path of, mm. of like you say something, I say something, you say mm. something, I say something, and we lead into this whole long, deep conversation that leads into all sorts of other things. Mm. But if you let a person tell their story, mm. they can keep context as to what that story is about mm. and give you the entire picture. Yeah, instead of giving you little snippets that you you can't build a context to it. Yes. So that's the problem with modern sort of, we'll call it corporate media. Yeah. Is all these little sound bites and snippets and you lose the context of everything. Mm. So you don't get the whole picture. Yes. So it's like the picture of a dog, like a sheepdog, biting a sheep around the neck. But if you zoom out, you see the dog's actually pulling the one the sheep out of the mud or out of the water or whatever. Mm. So what you see in the small picture is a dog attacking the sheep. Mm. But if you look at the bigger picture, the dog's actually trying to save the sheep. Yes. Yes. And yes. I think if you are more observant and you're more of an audience – um, you allow the person to uh, fully explain the picture because sometimes it's difficult. You sort of you're half worried about what the other person's going to think or what they're going to say. So you like you slowly revealing it and trying to judge their response to it. Yes, if that makes sense. That makes a hell of a lot of sense. And I mean myself, I'm. I don't know if on the podcast it comes across that way, but I'm more of an observer. Like if we go out dancing or something, me and my wife and friends or whatever, I'm quite happy to sit there and just watch the interaction of other people 
and observe. Um, and when I was in hospital now, we, we did a, 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 se- a sensory, like your sensory personality. Are you a sense, sensory seeker? Are you uh, sensory sensitive? So I'm more sensory sensitive. So I get, I take in lots of information. So I need to have a break. I have to have breaks where I can get away from sensory things because otherwise I get overloaded. I often feel like that. Mm. I often feel like that. I feel mentally exhausted Mm. after a long period of time of Mm. talking Mm. where either somebody's just been talking and talking Mm. and talking and talking and talking and and I'm listening, Mm. but after that, I'm like, Fuck me! I need a break, man. Yeah, I know. like you. I just want to sit, mm. be quiet. Nothing must interrupt me. I'm mm. just like it's it's like processing time. Processing time, yeah. Because what I find is when I get that, especially when I'm driving a lot. I mean, I for me to get to my day job is like an hour and fifteen minutes in the morning, an hour fifteen. And there's all that sense for information. And so when I get home, especially when I get home, now I've had the morning drive, I've had the whole day at the office and the drive home. At that point, I am past my limit in terms of absorbing all the sensory information. And for me, sometimes I just need to get a cup of coffee, go sit in the garage for 10 or 15 minutes and just plug in some earphones and drown out the noise with music and just sort of unwind a little bit, then I can be human again because otherwise I could be an arsehole. Well, I did something this morning that I haven't done for a long time and it was a sort of a practice for me when I was in the Western Cape. Did you rub one out like a pro? <laughs> Rubbed one out like a champion, champagne of victory. Um, what I did was in the Western Cape, because I, I didn't always have Wi-Fi unless I was by the main house by my friend Jeff. Um, so I didn't always have messages or Facebook coming mm. through or anything like that. So it was it was almost like a in the, in the mornings and then in the evenings, I would have a lot of time just to sit do fuck all. Mm. And you don't realize how beneficial that is for you. It is beneficial because, I mean, sometimes, like, if I'm in a mood, if I can just sit down and write about what's in my brain, I can just sort of unpack it out of the brain, and then you can gain perspective. So that's why a lot of people, or successful people, you know, in the morning, when the first thing they do when they get up is they'll have just a little bit of quiet time just to, like, sort of meditate or whatever, and then they'll do some exercise or whatever. But it's just, just that time to, like, just reflect, process, and then start moving. Yes. And I think it's it's important to have that those little breaks where you can just breathe because sometimes we just, it's too intense. Yeah. And I think that it, it gives you, it gives you like a sense of plugging back into the mm. moment. Mm. If you can just sit quietly mm. 
put your phone on fucking silent or put your phone in the house and go mm. and sit in the garden if you have the privilege of having a mm. garden. Listen to the sounds of the birds and mm. all that stuff. And I know it sounds all very bush hippie, mm. but just like it's calming. Nature mm. is calming. Just the sounds of nature are calming. Just being there looking at things that you – like the point is here is that we look at things, but we just like we, we, we've got a mission. And mm. we're on that mission, and we've got to do shit, and we've got to get it done, and mm. boom. We, we're walking past shit. We're seeing it all the time, but mm. we're, not, we're not appreciating it. If you can just sit for a few minutes every day mm. and just – appreciate what's around you, mm. where you are in life, what you've got to be thankful for, mm. that attitude of gratitude. Mm. The gratitude is the best attitude. Yes. I can't remember. Oh, that I heard from a positive affirmation soundtrack I had, or CD I had. Just think, if you can just have that short period of time, think what you're grateful for. Listen to the sounds, listen to your body. What's your body telling you? Are you telling you you're fucking hungry or are you a bit stiff or you sore? Because uh, for me, it's like I'm doing a bit of, say, a bit of running. It's not really a fantastic workload. <laughs> but <clears throat> you need to take a time and listen to what's your body telling you. Are you doing too much? Are you doing too little? Uh, and you can sort of... Get, as you say, get back into the moment mm. um, because we, we live such a fast-paced life that we that you 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 sort of live past the, the present. Yeah. Um, this is something I wanted to bring up as well is that <clears throat> I keep going back to this, but it, it's relevant to what I'm trying to say. The time that I had psilocybin, <clears throat> I was like, okay, I can see how this is beneficial, and I can see why people do it, mm. and I now know what that experience is like. Mm. But I thought to myself, well, I want to do it again. Mm. But then I was watching some videos on uh, that guy Michael uh, Michael what Poland. Michael Poland mm. and what he was saying is that because after his experience he was like you know this is this is all great and everything but now my ego's back mm. you know and all those all those defense mechanisms mm. and all of that it's all back and he says but how do I access that again without you know doing psilocybin again and what was said to him by I can't remember who it was maybe one of the guides or something was that that's where the meditation comes in. Mm. Is that you access that you, you can now remember this. Mm. You you know what experience you had. Mm. You know how you felt. Mm. You know what happened to you. It's, it's not like mm. it's a dream that I have a very big problem remembering a lot of my dreams. Mm. I'll wake up in the morning and I know that I had a dream that was – really impactful mm. and then I remember it when I wake up but during the course of the day I forget what the fuck it was about yeah it's like when you it, it immediately when you wake up it's like oh this the and then within half an hour it's gone it's gone yeah it's gone and it's sad because mm. I, I personally I believe that there's some value in in dreams mm. but 
the point is this is when you do psilocybin it's like you're having a very very meaningful dream you're having visions you're having bursts of color and plugging into a network of energy and mm. and it's ego dissolving and it's mm. it's all sorts of things mm. and if you can just take the time to now so because it's not something you want to do every day no no like you mm. don't want to disrespect it but the mm. thing is you do want to plug into that again without using it because mm. now you've got your you've got your ego and all mm. of those things back but it was definitely life changing and it's and mm. it's perhaps taught you things um mm. i i feel that it wasn't any obvious answers to mm. anything and this is what i spoke to david huller about is that he said to me that it's it does feel like you need time mm. to to go through what you've what you experienced mm. and i wish i had heard this information way before mm. like when uh michael um pollen pollen sorry michael mm. pollen mm. michael flowers let's michael flowers <laughs> michael pollen said mm. that that you need to meditate after this experience and i think if i had done some meditation quite soon after the experience mm. that it would have been even more beneficial mm. but because you can remember all of the whole experience mm. quite vividly i think that it's important to keep meditating on mm. what you experienced mm. and i think that'll help you sort of kind of understand what mm. what you experienced and why you felt the way you did and all of that well um from the research i did on the the ibogaine treatment mm. now ibogaine's also a hallucinogenic or psychedelic um and <laughs> from they a use plant or? it's from a plant it's from an african plant so it's a traditional african medicine what's it called ibogaine ibogaine mm. now there's places in south africa where you can actually go for the treatment but all of them has said that the trip you go on is only like maybe a third of the experience it's the the two or three days of intense therapy afterwards which brings the true benefit of the experience through so it's uh, they they use it for a lot for opioid addiction and for PTSD uh treatment resistant uh, depression and things like that um but they say that the trip alone is profound but the therapy and the talking and the meditating and stuff afterwards is like two thirds of the experience so the trip's only a third wow mm. i began I from began. what plant i don't know i can't remember i began That's the, interesting. Yeah, I B I B O G A I N E. I think I think Joe Rogan might have even done Abigail. Well, I've never heard him speak about it. Yeah. I I saw a, some clip. I didn't watch the clip. But they said Joe Rogan talks about his trip on Abigail, but I don't think I don't know if he has actually done it. Hmm. But it's extremely effective for opioid addiction. because what it does is part of the neurochemistry of the ibogaine is it sort of scrubs the the opioid receptors in the brain so what? so from repeated opioid use yeah um the 
receptors become clogged with the opioids. Sure. So now the Ibogaine goes and scrubs those uh, opioid, uh, well, it cleans the, the opioid receptors. Oh, wow. Mm. That's crazy. You know, it's a funny thing that after the, the psilocybin, I I feel that I do smoking more out of the the want than the need. Mm. The next day, uh, when we when we left Cape Town, Durban, uh, Durban, sorry, Jeez, was the trip that good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, when we left Durban, I hadn't had a smoke since the previous evening. Mm. I mean, I, uh, that evening I was incapable of smoking. I was, mm. uh, I was totally on another level. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't had a smoke. And generally after that period of time, I mean, I only had a smoke the next day at about half past three. Mm. And that was only out of habit, want or habit. Mm. Then not, not really out of want even. Mm. It was just like, I'm it's, a thing, it's a thing you do. When, it's it's a thing you do when you've mm. got time, you know. Mm. And it's like generally I've got a headache if I don't smoke for a while. Yeah. You know. Um, so it's interesting, but I think oof, I don't think I could have done a higher dose. But I think if I had of, because mm. I mean, what's what's a hero's dose? Is five, five grams, grams yeah. of psilocybin mm. of dried mushroom. Oh, man, I can't even imagine what that must be like because, mm. well, I, I mean, I can to a degree, but. Mm. Woo. But, you know, they say that's the, that's the hero's dose is supposedly the five grams of dried mushrooms. I've, but, heard, I've heard some people say seven grams. It, it depends on the person as well. Mm. So some people are, are require a lower dose. Some people require higher dose. Mm. The same as some people need two disciplines and one, some people need half a discipline. Sure. Well, this is the thing for me is my tolerance for a lot of mind-altering substances is very low. Mm. If, I've, if I haven't done weed for a long time, mm. I'll smoke a blunt and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm <laughs> feeling it. I'm feeling it. Well, like for me, um, the antidepressants I was on, one of them, the acetylopram. I was on like a 20 milligram dose and I didn't really feel it. And when my wife got uh, the acetylopram for depression, she was on a 10 milligram tablet. And the first night she took one, a whole 10 milligram. And the writing on her pillars was in neon colors. So she was tripping balls. Wow. <laughs> Where's me? I know when I don't have I knew when I didn't have it, my brain felt like it was rattling inside my skull. So if I turn my head, it's like the brain stays there and then it's like Whoa. Yeah. That's it's a, a very uncomfortable feeling. It is. And I mean now when I'm in the hospital we cut out the not tape it off, we cut out the acetylopram. So for about three weeks after after I stopped taking it, I could still feel that effect, like my brain was rattling. It's the way I call it. But now um, I don't feel it anymore. So it takes, with any medication that works on the brain, it takes time. You you can't just start on, say, 50 milligrams. You've got to work up to it. 
and then you've got to maintain it. And then when you want to go off it, you're actually supposed to taper off. So it's any any medication because like now, the last time I saw my psychiatrist, we upped the Epitec, which mm. is a epilepsy or uh, yeah, it's a um, it's it's I think it's either the same or it's a generic of, of epilim. Yeah, it's a generic of epilim. Yeah, yeah, but it's a it's an anti seizure medication, yes. but like. The dosage I on, I'm on is like 50 milligrams, whereas you are, for epilepsy, you're looking at 900 milligrams. I'm up. on, I'm on uh, 800 milligrams in the morning and 800 milligrams at night. Yeah. Now, speaking like that, uh, one of my psychologist's patients who was bipolar, because they use, they use Epilim or Epitech and Dopaquil, which is antipsychotic, to treat bipolar. And she kept saying to a psychiatrist that the medication is not working. And for two years, the medication was not working. And then when they did blood tests, they found that the levels, the, the, the level of medication she was on was, say, 500 milligrams, whatever it was. But the uptake in her body in the blood tests show that her uptake was very low. So that's why the medication wasn't working. Yes. Well, there's mm. a window where mm. the medication works, mm. whether it's like depending on the mm. person, mm. either it's too low or it's too high. Mm. The interesting fact that I learned uh, somewhat recently about Epilim, mm. um, and I don't know if this is across the board with anti-seizure uh, medications, mm. but what I learned about it is that if it's too high, mm. it can actually cause seizures. Mm. Well, it's the same as if you read the the, the pamphlet on dyspin or paracetamol. Mm. One of the side effects is it can give you headaches. <laughs> it's the same as anti-nausea medication. Oh. One of the side effects can be that it causes nausea. Good grief! And that comes to how people's body react to the medication and the dosage levels. Mm. So, like, if the dosage is too low, it may not – it has no effect whatsoever. If it's right, then it has the desired effect. And if it's too high, it may have completely the wrong – opposite effect of what it's supposed to be doing. And I think wow. when it comes to brain chemistry and, and medication that works on the brain chemistry, it's uh, it's well-researched, but it's not well-researched – it's not researched enough, in my opinion. Well, look, I mean, I think, I think there's, let me think how to put this. I, there's just the fact that there's just not enough information out there. Mm. There's just not enough. To, I mean, now we, now we starting this, this research has been done on, and I think that started in the sixties on LSD. Yeah, they were, it was in the 60s and early 70s, and then it was stopped. Yeah. Because they, they made it, uh, whatever schedule it is in America, where mm. it was banned completely. Yeah. yeah. So they couldn't even do research on it. Yeah. And now they've relaxed the laws. And I watched a video somewhere, but they talked that there was now like over 30 different studies on using psychedelics. Mm. 
for mental health issues. Mm. So in the time when they, from when they banned it to now, we've lost about 50 years of research. How much could we achieve? How mm. much could we have learned mm. about psychedelics in that period of time? Because this is the thing. People, ancient cultures mm. used... They used, I mean, we know the Egyptians used mm. cannabis. We know that there's, there's, uh, there's uh, depictions in the Assyrian culture of mm. people uh, being under the influence of mushrooms and things like that. And there's like in America, North America, the, the Indians use peyote, which is also hallucinogenic or psychedelic for... Peyote? Peyote, yes. Huh. And then you've got the ayahuasca... Ibogaine comes from Africa. It's a, it's a traditional African medicine. I need, I need to find out about that shit. Yeah, you need to research because there's there's treatment facilities in South Africa because it's legal. Yeah. Hmm. But you have and to, you trip balls on it. Yes, but you have to be careful. You might not be able to do it because mm. of your epilepsy. Because mm. I think that's one of the exclusions. Is that right? Mm. Fuck epilepsy. We're trying to we're trying to gain spiritual enlightenment here. Yeah, but be wary of yeah, unearned, no, no, no. unearned yeah. wisdom. No, yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. No, um, look, I mean, even on the on the psilocybin, I tried to research um, the effects of uh, psilocybin on people who've got epilepsy. Mm. I wasn't able to find anything. Mm. There, uh, there may be something that I missed that I, that mm. that is out there. I should imagine somebody's somebody who has epilepsy has has tried it in the past. Mm. If there isn't, mm. I'm the first one, but mm. I doubt it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I did have like a mini seizure, but on it. The, the The question then is: is it the is it a question of the psilocybin, or was or it the stress, the stress and and the environment? Yes. I think it could have been this, the stress in the environment because that's the thing is that you become very, very sort of aware of vibes mm. that are coming off people. Mm. And, and I'm not, that, not that there were any negative vibes, but mm. it's also that you need to be in a relaxed environment. Yeah, if it's, if it's too intense, mm. it's like we d I spoke about that one woman I met in hospital who has epilepsy that's triggered by emotion. Mine is too. Yeah. Mine is too. So, it, not necessarily a bad emotion like sad or mm. anger. Or, mm. It can be any emotion. Mm. Mm. So, it's it's tricky. It is tricky. It is tricky. I know if I, if I lose my shit, mm. like, and I'm properly upset, mm. even if I get over it in the same day, the next morning or even during the course of that evening... Mm. I'll probably have either either a grand mal or multiple petty mal seizures. Mm. I know they call them different things now, but they, I don't know why they changed the name of shit. Mm. It's like it's it's in order they change the names of shit so that they can publish more papers. Ugh. Yes, <laughs> they're now changing the name. To so it's no longer BC; it's now BCE. Yeah, or whatever the fuck. I oh, don't know. I <laughs> oh, don't know. But yeah, I. Uh, there, there's so much more research that that needs to be done on all sorts of things. Mm. I mean, like, isn't it? In, I wonder how many different plants contain 
psychedelic chemical compounds. Mm. Tobacco is one of them. So is that a psychedelic? It's, it's, no, it's a narcotic. It's a narcotic. Yeah. Okay. So you get, so, there's different effects. So, uh, yeah. Well, we're, what, we're, nicotine what, is actually a stimulant. Believe okay. it or not. Caffeine is a stimulant. Yes. Um, yes. We're like psilocybin is considered a psychedelic. So yeah. it's, it works on different, it, it works in different ways, put it that way. Okay. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, the first time that you smoke a cigarette, you do get that smoker's high. That that, and also if you if you haven't smoked for a couple of days, and it, you'll it. get it again. Yeah, but it's not in my experience. It's not as profound as the first cigarette that you ever smoke. Like yeah. there's there's this. I remember the first cigarette that I ever smoked. I was buzzing, man. I was well, buzzing. I've known from like when I travel overseas. Obviously, you can't smoke on the airplane. Mm. Don't know fucking why, but anyway, but. Like, I remember the one time when I went to England, uh, I flew from Joburg to Heathrow, then I had to wait for like three or four hours for my connecting flight from Heathrow to Newcastle. Mm. And there is no smoking anywhere in Heathrow's airport. There's no smoking room or nothing. So it's like a ten and a half hour flight over. But you have to board a certain time before, so you can call it, say, 12 hours from when you last had a smoke until when you can have one again when you're out the airport. But now I had to wait for four hours and then still fly an hour to Newcastle and then get out there and get the rental car. So it was about 16 or 17 hours that I hadn't smoked. When I had that first cigarette, man, I had to sit down, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I used to talk to myself when when I first started smoking. I would like, I'd have this little crazy buzz going on. Mm. You feel lightheaded, mm. and you've got this this almost like pins and needles feeling in your feeling. face. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you start talking, and you're like, oh my god, this is amazing. Mm. But yeah, did I ever tell you about the first time I did weed? No. So, my good friend, Stoner Matt. Stoner Matt. <laughs> Big shout out to Stoner Matt. So, him and I go, uh, and we, we would kind of try to hide it from our friends and stuff mm. like that because they all had issues with it. And uh, they didn't know that we were, well. Dead brain client. <laughs> yeah. He did it. Mm. He, he had done it more regularly than I had. Mm. I had never done it at that mm. stage. And uh, he's like, bro, do you want to do, do some weed? So I'm like, yeah, man, let's do this. Let's mm. do this. Anyway, so we uh, we <laughs> so we took a walk into the felt. And we like crossed a little stream and we like got to this big rock there. And I said to him, "What do you reckon?" He says, "Yeah, this is a good spot." So we start mulling there and we roll one up. And he's like, "Bro, so remember, this is not like cigarettes, bro. Mm. Like you just take it easy. It's your first time. Take mm. it easy." I'm like, ah. Man, whatever, whatever. So I'm pulling on this thing like a legend. Yeah. I'm, I'm like gonna get my money's worth out of this mm. bad boy. It's like if you if you smoke a cigarette and you smoke it so hard that the filter collapses and yep. the coal's like two <laughs> inches long. <laughs> so anyway, so I, we we had and it was just clean weed, mm. just just a full on joint, right? Mm. One of those long papers, you know, Ooh, the king yeah, size. So we smoked this thing finished, Marbury. 
I'm like talking to him and eventually I'm like, and I had my, I like lay back on this rock and I had this 90 degree angle of this mm. rock in the, in the, in the right. middle of my neck. And I was just, and I just passed out, bro. I just fell right asleep. Mm. And we got there at one o'clock. Mm. We woke up at half past four. Jeez. We were so blazed. Like, <laughs> So I, I'm like, I wake up, and I look at Matt, and I, I wake him up, and I'm like, oh, dude, yes, I've never had such a good sleep in my life. And he's like, yes, I had a great sleep. <laughs> so anyway, so I try to get up, and I fall over, dude. Mm. So anyway, so he's like helping me back, and we're like walking through the bush, and this little stream, I like fell in this little stream <laughs> because I couldn't walk properly. Anyway, we get back to the car. We drive to Roman's Pizza. I ordered two uh, two um, large pizzas. Mm-hmm. We finished those and still bought another one <laughs> and finished that too. My, My word. I, it was a crazy experience. It was great though. It was great. I can't remember if it was my first experience. But I think it was the first, like, really memorable. So it was good shit. Yeah. And... But the thing is, I mixed it with alcohol. But anyway. Oh, <laughs> the greenies. No, it wasn't the greenies. Oh. But, um, it was my f- my roommate from first year. It was his birthday. Yeah. So they had been to the waterfront and had, in Cape Town, had some old wobblies, which is like a 13% draft. So normal beer is like 4 or 5%. This is like 13%. Mm. So they were, they were zoning. I got there and it's like, oh, come, let's smoke a joint. So we make a joint quickly. We didn't ro- mull or roll. We just took a cigarette, emptied it, and then filled with weed. That's a lazy way, but it works. It works. It Man, works. And I got blazed. Oh, yeah. Then then we walked from his flat to the one nightclub where we used to go joining, Springfield. Yeah. Yes. Springfield 2. It was a legend place mm-hmm. because they had like three different dance floors. So they had the, the, the alternative Mm-hmm. With, with a bit of a mosh pit or whatever and then they yeah. had the 80s and classics mm-hmm. and then they had the pack the washing fold the ironing sh- section the, the rave dance uh, okay. <laughs> right. so you could choose but now we're walking and halfway there man I got drugies oh, but yeah. so bad that it felt like there was like mud in my mouth <laughs> so mm-hmm. I bought we stopped at the shop I bought the orange juice I downed it and it didn't help doesn't help for all so then, anyway, we get to the nightclub, to Springfield. So we're like jolling. So I had, I was at that stage in the evening where I didn't want any beer. Yeah. I wanted Brandwein, <laughs> Meteor Los. So I had a uh, couple of brandies and then it's like, then then the, then the it was like I was past being, I was not blazed anymore. I was now too blazed. Yes. Or too, too much. Feel a little not, too high. <laughs> And, like, I remember saying to my friend, Bryn, it was my, my roommate, I said, Bryn, yeah, it's time for me to go home. Oh, man, come, say hello to this chick. Because there was this one blonde chick that he had a, a thing for. Mm-hmm. And now there's a game on the PC, like a first-person shooter type thing called Redneck Rampage. <laughs> now, in Redneck Rampage, you know, to build your health, you eat or you drink. So it's booze or food. Now, if you have too much food, because you've got two meters, then you throw up. And if you have too much booze, you get pissed, and you're like soft staggering. When you're trying to go straight, you like move sideways. And if you have more, then the whole screen goes pixelated. Oh, no. 
Now, when he took me to say hi to this blonde chick, I remember clearly that it wasn't so clear. It was pixelated. Like my vision was pixelated. So I said hello to a blur and then I left. <laughs> How the fuck I got home, I'm not too sure, but yeah. it was it was autopilot mode. But I remember my vision was pixelated. Jeepers. So it's like if you zoom so close into a picture, you just this yeah, pixels. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was my vision. Wow. Wow. That was intense. <laughs> I bet that was very intense. I, I remember the, the thing that I miss most about the Western Cape, other than my mm. good buddy Jeff, is that the, the walks that Jeff and I used to go on. Mm. We used to go for, we used to get up early in the morning and go for these long fucking walks in the bush. Mm. And he would, and he'd had such a wealth of knowledge that it was just, it was, it was a privilege being mm. out in the bush with him. Mm. It was just a privilege. Mm. And uh, and then we'd get to a spot and we'd put up the Kelly kettle and we'd light that up mm. and make ourselves some coffee. And in the meantime, while the water was boiling, we'd start mulling. Mm. And by the time we'd finished mulling, the Kelly kettle was boiled, pour ourselves a cup of, cup of uh, okay. what, hugging a, uh, hugging a mug? Yeah. That stuff. Mm. And we'd have that and uh, and we'd smoke our joint. That's brilliant. And you get, but like straight, like mm. proper joints, a straight weed. Mm. He had a tortoise shell that we'd mull in, <laughs> an old tortoise shell, and we'd mull in there with the scissors, you know, traditional. Mm. That's pretty, we roll this thing. And uh, then you walk through the bush. But now we had very little water with us, so mm. you're like, we, you gotta, you got to you got to ration it out. Mm. And I remember I had the drugie so bad, and mm. we were trying to make our way to a a section where there was mm. water and he had the druggies too. So we were both like, mm. like parched beyond mm. belief. feels like the Sahara desert mm. in your mouth. And you're like, Oh my God. So you're like walking, walking, walking through the bush. You get some water eventually carry on walking. But it, when you high and you're walking through the bush, like you can just, I don't know, for me, I can just mission. Mm. I can mission, like mm. just fucking walk for hours and, and not get sore, just mm. and then you smoke another blunt and you carry on walking. As mm. long as you've got water and you don't get mm. druggies, like you're okay. Mm. You can carry on walking. Mm. And I was very interested to find out that there's apparently a large community of uh, MMA fighters and jiu-jitsu mm. fighters who actually microdose on psilocybin, but also uh, smoke weed mm. or, or take edibles or something like that. Mm. And then fight while they're on that. Mm. And they say it helps them. It helps their focus. Some of the guys train with it on. Now, as far as I know in, in, in UFC, it's not a banned substance. But you can't – so you, if they pick up trace amounts, it's fine. But you can't have – like when you do the weigh-in and before the fight, you can't have like high doses of, of weed in your system. But you can have trace amounts, which is fine. Mm. So, and th th it, I think it goes more to the, the, the beneficial, beneficial aspects of the different cannabinoids in wheat. So, like the CBD and… CBD, isn't that anti-inflammatory yeah. as well? Very good for anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Mm. So, I think they've recognized that it's, it's not harmful. I wouldn't say it's not harmful, but it's… 
it does more good than it does bad. And it's it's not so to say performance enhancing like doing roids. Yeah, well, I think that caffeine is more that. Uh, Apparently, in, in in Olympic sport, whatever you can get disqualified if the caffeine levels are too high. Yes, yes, they, they view it as an, yes, it's a it's an unfair advantage. Mm. That uh, I think they they instituted that man quite quite a while ago. Mm. That they recognised it as an unfair advantage mm. that. Um, Certain athletes who had a, a high level of caffeine outperformed people mm. who didn't, mm. um, which makes sense. Yeah, it makes but sense. it's like, where do I want to go? Oh, I was watching a thing on YouTube. I think it was louder with Crowder, conservative. But they're talking about this trance thing. Yeah, uh, where <coughs> you have a biologically born male competing against females when they tr- they were male. For eighty percent of life, and then they do a transition and <coughs> hormone therapy, and then they go and compete against women, which is completely it's unfair. I mean, the effects of testosterone in your body are extremely well documented. Where the average male is way stronger and got much better bone structure than the average female, and when it comes to contact sports like fighting, and even where it's like sprinting and stuff like that, uh, there's obvious advantage to being male as opposed to female. So what they were saying is that they shouldn't allow trans athletes to compete against females because it's unfair. But what they should do is they should have a trans category. That's agreeable. Okay. But then what the what Stephen Crowder said is that, yeah, then they should also have a category where there's no holes barred. You can do as much roids as you want. Because it would be entertaining to watch. It would. It would be a hella entertaining to watch. I mean, they showed... But uh, that was the whole thing with Custer Semenya, wasn't it? Yeah. Where they say she's... Because she was born female, as far as I know, but they reckon that she's partially hermaphrodite, whatever. So she has... She had male... I think she had testes inside her abdomen or something, or... I don't know. But it's like yeah. her testosterone levels were way higher than the average woman. Okay. So it's it's a very dodgy. Uh, mm. Yeah, because that went on for a while. Mm. Well, um, then they I then they brought, follow it too closely. Then they brought in restrictions, but only for like uh, track track events where you your testosterone levels couldn't be above a certain level, but in the events where it is the most beneficial, like powerlifting, there's no restriction. So they've had people who are born with naturally much higher, women who are born with naturally much higher testosterone, they go and compete in powerlifting, they blow the competition away because of the advantage of the testosterone in the system. Yeah, that's so hard to argue, though. It's Mm. like... Like, what do you do? Like, mm. it's not your fault because you were born that way. Mm. And and that gives you it gives you an advantage mm. over other people. But, like, like, if you're not putting it in your body intentionally mm. and, it's, and it's naturally there, mm. like, where do you go with that? Like, is mm. it your fault now? Yeah. Like, it's like when, when Oscar Pistorius wanted to compete 
against able-bodied athletes. He had to go through a mood of a thing because they said, no, now his blades that he used to run on were like performance enhancing, so he couldn't compete against able-bodied athletes. Or Because then um, the blades he was using, now it becomes performance enhancing because now they can do all sorts to the spring rate and how it, how much energy it returns and shit like that. Yeah. It becomes a technology race as opposed to a physical race. Mm. Yeah, that, that I don't know. That's that's something I don't know much about and I can't really say yes or no to because I mean what and, do you what and do you also do? it's like does it does it really interest you? I mean it's it's interesting as like how they how they um take on these issues but it's like eh. like how do you it's like they had there was an olympic soccer team in the the paralympics that won like hands down and it turned because it was in a a mental dis, dis a mental disability category yeah and that all these soccer players had faked it like 95% of the team was all, they were normal able-bodied people, but they, they competed against mentally disabled people. So obviously they would win. Hmm. That's, when was this? It wasn't too long ago. It's in the last 20 years. Okay. There was a big hoo-ha about it at the time because it's, you know, the Paralympics is supposed to give people who are not disabled in some way or another. Or disabled in some, give them a, 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 an area where they can actually compete. Yes. Because, you know, for some people it's very beneficial to have competitive sport. Yeah, for, mm-hmm. I, th- I, I mean, gives, and if you, meaning. I mean, there's, I saw a, a chick the other day who, who had like, I think it was one leg and then one of her, I think it was only one leg that she, but she could swim extremely well. Penny Haynes. <clears throat> no, it was another chick. It wasn't Penny Haynes. No, because Penny Haynes was a South African swimmer. Mm. She was Olympian. And then she was in a, an accident on a scooter. She got knocked over by a, a taxi and she lost a, I can't remember if it was an arm and a leg or I know she definitely lost a leg. And then she went and she competed in the Paralympics. Yeah. Um, but it was quite a sad loss that you know, an accident changed the course of it. But then again, uh, we don't look for the positive, eh? We don't look for the negative. No, we, we it's like, oh, what a loss. But angry, maybe it is a blessing. Who knows? Yeah, well, it goes back to, like, what would you rather have, die or have the opportunity to still do what you love doing with this hindrance but being able to prove yourself now? Mm. That you even And be an inspiration to people who have this limitation. or to, Not just people who have, but people who have limitations in any form. It's like, you know, a spin of the wheel and things could change, but... The, you can still find meaning in something that you love. Yes, and and uh, and, and it's such a purpose. Yeah, it's such a inspiration to people to see 
other people who've got real difficulties that could be worse than yours or mm. yours could be exactly the same or whatever it is. Mm. I mean, uh, one of the old cricket players uh, had epilepsy. John T. Rhodes. John C. Rhodes. Mm. And, uh, and that was um, something that my mom always told me is that mm. you've got this, but it doesn't mean that you use it as a crutch. Mm. Don't don't ever use it as a crutch. You can do like yes, there's you've got to understand there's certain mm. limitations to what you can do. Mm. But I've done a lot of stuff in my life that I would never have that if I had used it as a crutch, I would never have achieved. Like you know, in the, in the when we first came out of isolation with the cricket, when John T. Rhodes was there, and you know they had the old guys like Ryan McMillan and Pat Simcox, and it was the it was the era of. of semi-professional or non-professional sport. Mm. So part of the thing in cricket was like, you know, we'll have a few drinks afterwards. And now because of John T's epilepsy, he wouldn't drink. Okay. But he still partook because he, he made himself the barman. Yes. So like after the game, he would be pouring the drinks for the guys and they appreciated that though. Although he, he couldn't partake in alcohol. He didn't want to partake in alcohol. He still made himself part of the team mm. by just mm. being involved in a different way. Don't exclude yourself. Mm. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like you don't always partake in the weed that I smoke yeah. during the podcast, but it enables you mm. to fry my brain. Mm. You know, <laughs> it's like I don't have anything against it. Mm. But it's, it's not something that I particularly feel that I need to do all the time yeah. or, or do at all. Yeah, I like edible. Edibles are incredibly good. Mm. I, I I want to correct something that I that I said the other day. Um, I called it eleven methoxy. It's not eleven methoxy. Mm. It's eleven hydroxy metabolite. Okay. Not methoxy. Mm. I was getting confused with the the DMT, which is. Mm. Uh, I think I think that I could be mistaken once again, mm. but I think that's got it's met- the f- methoxy and it's a five methoxy, which five is methoxy, yeah. which is a synthesized yes. DMT. Yes, yes, five methoxy. Mm. Um, yeah, but eleven hydroxy metabolite is mm. when you ingest edibles. Yeah, because it's it's processed through the liver. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's, and it's apparently it's five times stronger than delta nine THC. Mm. Yeah, and it, it because it's it's metabolized differently, the effect it has on you is different. Well, apparently it's a it's a completely different drug. It's a it's a different animal. It's more for me. It's more visual. Yeah. Weed. So it's like <clears throat> like when I when I did edibles when we went camping it was when I closed my eyes I could see the beat of the music in color yeah yeah which is like really freaky but it was cool it's very freaky and and you can oof, you can take too much so easily yeah that's the problem with edible is that it's got a time delay yeah so it takes anywhere from half an hour to an hour and a half yes but when it drops it drops oh and, it and drops the problem quick. is if you have one and think, ah, oh, it's doing nothing. Have another one. Oh, no, no, no. And then all of a sudden you have the one kick in and then the next one. And then it's all 
my bad for us. my opinion on edibles mm. don't make them brownies taste too good <laughs> don't make them too good mm. because if you make them good everybody's going to be tripping balls real quick and uh, we had an unfortunate uh, yeah. experience with one of our friends <laughs> yeah. who who really it was her first time mm. taking weed at all yeah I, I don't think she had ever smoked it before no she hasn't uh, and then she was like, and she took way too much. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah, she had a whole one. Yeah, I also had a whole one, but I was. You had half. No, we, I, had a, I had a whole one. I had a whole one the first night. Did you have a whole one the first night? Yeah, you brave son. No, but you see, I was mentally prepared for it. She wasn't mentally prepared for it. Yeah, well, I think her tolerance was also very, very low. Mm. Um. I don't think I don't think mental I don't think there's anything that could prepare you for an mm. edible experience where you've never had one because mm. you've got no reference point mm. like you don't know what you're going into yeah so when you when you're starting like mm. the first time you take edibles be very very cautious not have three muffins don't have three <laughs> muffins. <laughs> Don't have three muffins. And when the guy asks you, are you sure? you got to ask questions. <laughs> Don't be like me and be like, well, well, I'm yeah, fucking I'm angry. fucking hungry. I just want three muffins. <laughs> are you sure? Yes, I'm fucking sure. And then I wasn't fucking sure <laughs> after the fact. Man. Because I got too high. <laughs> Whoa, way too high. Way mm. too high. But I think that is enough for this week's episode. Yeah, I mean, we've, it's almost... Hour and 40 minutes or so. Yeah. Jack's going to be complaining. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> we do it for everybody. We're going to do uh, we're gonna do OHC clips very soon. Mm. So uh, there'll be shorter, shorter discussions that we'll mm. put out there. Um, and we're going to get on YouTube real soon yeah. as well. Um, that's the plan. That's the plan. So thanks for sticking with us, guys. Thanks yeah, for listening in. We hope you haven't bored you too much or given you too much useless information. I don't think that it's useless. I mm. think that it's uh, it it's discussions that enhance <coughs> interesting topics and, and give people maybe a different viewpoint on, on things that are out there that could be either just interesting or more beneficial to them. Or give you them a, 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 a better understanding. Yeah, and a more balanced viewpoint or opinion on, on psilocybin or mm. DMT or whatever, whatever whatever we're talking about. Hand sanding. Hand sanding. <laughs> You've got to do weed when you're hand sanding. It makes it much more pleasurable. <laughs> I tell you. I, I, I tend to do my hand sanding with podcasts. Yeah, I tend to do it like podcasts, mm. hand sanding, weed. That's my happy place. Yeah. Yeah. I also use it as therapy. But anyway, we're going on longer. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go down a different mind shop. But anyway, I think that's enough for this episode. Thank you, Tim. It's been a pleasure. It's been awesome. As always. As always, yes. So we will check you guys out on the next episode. Episode 18. Episode 18. Yeah, this is 17. So we're getting there. We're getting there. When we hit 20, we'll do something special, I think. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, thanks, guys. Much appreciated. Much love. No homo. Yeah. Uh, homo if you're interested in that stuff. But anyway, <laughs> cheers, guys. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Open Hearthcast. Find us on Instagram at Open Hearthcast, and we'll see you again real soon.